Well, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32. And we'll go ahead and jump right on into verse 1. So Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Okay, so it's very plain to see here that Jacob has angels watching over him. However, these are not unseen angels as you might think about. Instead, these angels are visible to Jacob because we're told there in verse 2 that he saw them. Now, to me, it's not hard to understand why Jacob has these angels assigned to him, if you will, because, again, we must keep in mind as we study the Bible here that there's a grand plan, and you've heard me mention that several times, but there's a grand plan of God's that is unfolding as we're reading through the pages of the Scripture. Again, I'm continually reminding you of this because it's easy to just read a, a small portion of Scripture like we do week after week and only get a small picture of what is actually taking place. That's why I encourage you that you need to do more reading than what we do here just on Sunday morning so that you get the full picture, right? As you read the scriptures in their entirety, you come to realize that God, the creator of all, is working out something far bigger than we can understand just by reading one chapter on Sunday mornings, okay? So it's important to understand that if we want to know the full will of God, we must read the full counsel of God that God gives us in the scriptures, okay? Because we know that many religions have been formed in the world by people that just take a small portion of scripture and then make a doctrine out of it. And we want to be careful not to fall into that, okay? And at this point in our study of the Bible here, we know that, again, that God is forming a people group, right? And God's ultimate plan of salvation for mankind will come through this people group. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, will be born a Jew, right? And Jacob is a part of God's plan for this people that will become known as the Israelites. Today, we will see that Jacob's name will be changed to Israel. The Israelites became tribes of people, right? And one of those tribes was the tribe of Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob and Leah, as we've studied about. And the word Jew comes from that name, Judah. Jesus was born of that lineage, the tribe of Judah. And if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you can read and find this genealogy. But again, getting back on track here, the fact that Jacob has... Um, angels going before him or watching over him, if you will, should not be strange to us as Bible students because, again, God is just making sure that nothing happens to this man from whom will come his own special people, the Israelites, and ultimately 
the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, I'll show you a familiar passage of scripture if you'll mark this page and turn toward the back of your Bible and find the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Okay, again, Jacob has come upon, he's on the move, he's going somewhere, he sees these angels, and he's going to set up camp here, okay? Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. So this should make you think, right? Who are you running into out there on a daily basis? Right? It says, Let brotherly love continue. And this means that we should show love to people. We should show love to each other as the brethren, as Christians, but we should show love to everybody because you never know who you may be crossing paths with, right? We see in the Old Testament and here in the New Testament that yes, indeed, there are angels amongst us, right? And they can be visible at times to our eyes, right? In the case with Jacob, he was able to know that they were angels, and in the, case of, in the case of what we see here in Hebrews, there are times that we can be unaware of the presence of angels amongst us. We see this in the scripture, right? So I just wanted to show you that. And as we flip back to Genesis chapter 32 now, Jacob has now seen these angels as him and his family were on the move. And again, keep this in mind all the time as we study through the Bible here is that God has a grand plan. God is working something out, right? And when Jacob saw the angels, he knew indeed that uh, this is where God wanted him to be at this point in time. He then came up with a name here, one way or the other, for that place, and he called it Mahanaim, right? Now, Mahanaim is a word that simply means two camps. Mahanaim means two camps. And we'll see the reason that he called it that As we go on here, verse three, then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them saying, speak thus to my Lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. And if you've been following the story, you know where he was. He was staying with his father-in-law for a long period of time here. He said, and this, now he's sending messengers ahead to his brother Esau. He, verse five continues. Here's what he wants him to tell him. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. Okay, so there we see that Jacob is dividing his people into two camps. Hence the reason for the name Mahanaim, right? So Jacob 
is scared now. Why? Well, the last time he saw his brother is when he tricked his father into blessing him instead of blessing his brother Esau, right? And Esau at that time vowed to kill him for this. And mom warned Jacob that he better hit the road for a while. He better get out of town, right? So even though many years have gone by now, Jacob doesn't know how his brother feels about him at this point, okay? So he's headed back, Jacob's headed back to the promised land, right? Where he needs to be according to God's will. But here he, there he feels, he fears that he may lose his life if he goes back there. So he sends messengers ahead to tell Esau that he is coming and to inform Esau of the wealth that he has obtained. But now the messengers come back and say, yeah, your brother's coming, but he's not alone. So he's got a mess of people with him, right? So Jacob is afraid now. And you know, as I think about this, even though you may know that you're seeking God's will in your life and and you want to be where he wants you to be. And maybe even you have confirmation from your circumstances or others around you that where you are is the right place to be or where you're going is the right place to go. But even though all of this, there can, even in the midst of all of this, there can still be circumstances that make you fearful of where you're going. So you change things up a little bit to accommodate the situation. And this is what Jacob is doing here. He's headed in the right direction in his life, you can say, because he's going where God told him to go, but he's just not sure about all the details. So he has to plan accordingly, okay? And we walk through life in that way as well. Because You see, even though through faith, even though faith, excuse me, is trusting in God, but we can't always uh, see what we wish we could see, can we? We don't always get everything all laid out for us. So we still need wisdom along the way. You see, if you remember from Genesis chapter one, we're created in the image of God. And God didn't make us a bunch of robots, did he? He gave us the ability to think and to reason on our own. Ultimately, it is his will that will be done in our lives if we're committed to him. But nonetheless, we still live in a fallen world and we face circumstances sometimes that might bring about fear, that might trouble us in one way, shape or form, like we see happening with Jacob. Again, he's on the right path, but he's got some fear in front of him right now. And as we walk through this fallen world, we need to be wise about our decisions and our choices, right? Make sure that we're in God's will, but be prepared for the fact that not everyone around you is living in the same manner as you are or as you desire to live. Most people don't care about the will of the Lord in their lives. They're just out to get all that they can for themselves. That's the way most people go through this world, right? Again, this should not describe us as followers of Jesus Christ, but it does describe the world that we live in, okay? So Jacob here, in a sense, you can say, to me as I read it, I think he has a healthy fear, if I were in his shoes, right? A fear that makes him 
prepare for any circumstance that may arrive. He's probably hopeful that his brother will receive him, but based on his past with his brother, he's not sure. So Jacob prepares for the worst here. The Proverbs are full of advice for you and me as to how we should prepare for things in this life, how we should be prepared for troubled times and troubled days that may come, right? Again, we need to be wise in our decision-making, but walk by faith in God that he will ultimately work all things together for good, as we're told in the scriptures in Romans 8.28. So I guess what I'm pointing out is there's what God has promised in our lives and what he will do that he will complete, but yet we still live in this temporary fallen world and we have to make decisions based on what's in front of us sometimes, okay? And that's kind of what I see happening with Jacob here. Again, he's on the right path, but he's fearful. He's concerned. So Jacob is preparing and verse eight says, and he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Then Jacob said, oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So do you see what has happened here? Jacob, again, he has prepared for the worst, but he has prayed for the best. He dealt with the situation at hand. He prepared for the worst, but he's prayed for the best. And Jacob, we see, is humble in this prayer. He's a humble man in this prayer. His wealth has not made him feel uh, superior to anyone else. He says there in verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. He says, I'm not worthy. So, you know, a large portion of so-called Christianity today has an arrogance about them and they boast of all that they have. And you see it on TV, right? And they boast that they somehow deserve it, right? But in Jacob's prayer, he understands that he doesn't deserve anything that he has or anything that he has even come to know, the truth that he has come to know. He doesn't deserve it. He realizes that he is weak. He realizes that he needs God. And this is when God can work in a person's life, when they realize their need for him and that they, that they are weak. Let me show you another example of this, of another couple people in prayer. I want you to mark this page again and turn now to the New Testament book of Luke. Luke chapter 18. 
And let's start reading um, down in verse 9. It says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Okay, so pause right there for a moment and let me just set the scene here. Jesus is speaking to a group of people here that have gathered around him and he is teaching them. There are sinners present and there are those that think they're not sinners. They're religious folk there, right? And now he's going to address these religious folks who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, but they despised others, he says. These are people that think highly of themselves. The opposite of what Jacob was doing in his prayer back in Genesis chapter 32, right? But Jesus continues here in verse 10, and he gives them a parable, and he says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Okay, so what we see is a contrast here in Jesus' story. The tax collectors were a despised group known to take more than what they should, just a, a stinking bunch of dirty sinners, right? And the Pharisees, on the other hand, were the high and mighty religious group, supposedly living by the letter of the law. So these two men, they're in the same temple praying. This is what Jesus is saying here. And in verse 11, it says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this is where our Lord God wants us to be. Realizing that we fall short in this life of all that is good and holy, right? Realizing that we need a Savior. We are weak and not able to live a good life without the Lord. We need mercy from our God because we are undeserving of all that he is, right? And all that he will bless us with and even just the knowledge of him. But Jacob had the right attitude in his prayer as did this tax collector. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So God justifies, God raises up, God encourages those that have come to a place in their lives where they realize that they need him. And of course, we know that Jesus is our way to God today, but we must surrender our lives to him, right? We will make nothing short of a mess in our lives if we just try to do it our way. We need to realize that we need to humble ourselves and trust in God, that each and every one of us need him 
on a daily basis in every aspect of our lives. Because just like with the story with Jacob, there's things that we face. There's things that we're fearful of. There's things that we don't understand. There's things that we're unsure of. Even though we may know we're on the right path, we feel. We're seeking God. We're going in the way that God wants us to. But what about this, God? What about that? I don't know what to do. I don't know how this man's going to treat me. I don't know what's going to happen here, right? But Jacob prayed. He prepared, first of all. He prepared for the worst. He, he did something. He split his group up into two companies and was prepared. But then he prayed. So we prepare and we pray, okay? There's our part and then there's we seek God, okay? So as we turn back to Genesis 32, Jacob expresses this humility in his prayer. And he asks God to deliver him from Esau's revenge, right? And then verse 13 says, so he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. So you see what he's doing here, he's spreading things out. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau my brother meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Okay, so again, you get the picture here, right? Jacob has come up with a way to try to appease his brother. And in a sense, he's asking for forgiveness, right? He did his brother wrong early in life, and now he wants to try to atone for it. Now look, I'm going to go off here on what you might consider a rabbit trail for a few moments. But I want us to make sure that we understand that even though Jacob did wrong in a worldly sense by tricking his father into blessing him rather than Esau, this was actually God's plan all along, right? God proclaimed while the two of them, Jacob and Esau, while they were in the womb of their mother, God proclaimed that the older would serve the younger. We've studied that in the past, right? So Isaac, right, Jacob and, uh, Jacob and Esau's father, Isaac, he was the one that was kind of doing wrong to want to bless Esau in the first place. You see, in this world, we have a way of doing things at times, right? We call it our traditions and such. And Isaac, as the father of the twins, Jacob and Esau, thought that since Esau was the oldest, he should have the blessing. But you know, our traditions and our rituals or our family values even have no implication on God's will. 
And we must be careful not to confuse this fact. We can't just think that just because our family does this or that and always has done this or that in a certain way from generation to generation, that God must honor that in our lives, right? Because if we're led by the Spirit, we will desire to go in the way that God leads us to go through this life. So sometimes today, and I know it's a big thing within Christianity, and and take this with a grain of salt because I'm not knocking it completely, but sometimes people place their family values and their traditions above God's will in their lives. And they say, well, this is what my family does, so this is what I do. That's what my grandmother did, and all the way back and all the way back, so we just do the same thing. But is that God's will, right? So again, I'm... I'm repetitive on saying this all the time to you guys, but our ways are not his ways. His ways are much higher than ours. So Jacob may have done wrong in the physical sense again, but it was Isaac that was kind of saying, well, the older needs to be the one that gets the blessing, but that's not what God said. That wasn't God's way. It was, it was Jacob that was supposed to get it. That was, that was God's plan that Jacob was going to be blessed in the manner that he was, right? And, and God was working through Jacob to accomplish his will here on this earth. And that's why we see these angels and everything that's happening in Jacob's life, because there's an ultimate plan that we're getting to as we go through the Bible. It's all going to lead to Jesus, okay? So, but again, here in the story, back to the story, Jacob simply wants to appease his brother Esau. He wants to live in peace with him, so he's doing all that he can to try and make peace with him. And verse 22 says, and he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. Now, a ford is not a car or a truck, right? In this instance, right? A ford is simply a shallow spot in a river or a stream or such where it's easier for you to cross over. That's called a ford, okay? In this case, Jacob, you know, Jacob has come upon a brook here, okay? Verse 23, he took them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had and then Jacob was left alone. So you get the picture here. He stayed on the one side of the brook and he crossed over all that he had and all of them over to the other side. They went through the ford there. So he's here all alone now. And verse 24 continues and says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, let's just pause there because I tell you, this is a a crazy scene that kind of has begun to take place here. Jacob has now encountered God in human form. Now, how do we know that? Well, because if you read ahead, uh, verse 28 tells us that this was God that Jacob wrestled with. And Jacob puts up a really good fight because this goes on till the break of day. And it says, as it says there at the end of verse 24, right? Now, if you're following along with me in the New King James Version of the Bible, you can take note to the fact that when speaking of the man or God in human form here, the first letter of the word will be capitalized, 
Okay, so this helps you to distinguish between God and Jacob here. The New King James Version does that throughout the whole Bible. The you or the your or the H, you know, in the him or whatever, or the man, in this case, the word man there is capitalized. But anyway, this wrestling match goes on. And verse 25 says, now when he, capital H, right, saw that he did not prevail against him, lowercase h, right? So there's there's a distinction. He touched the, so- the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Okay, so Jacob hung in there. But you cannot say that Jacob came out none the worse for the wear, can you, right? Because he will now go the rest of his life with this dislocated hip. You see, we really don't have the details as to how this wrestling match got started or how it broke out, right? But everything for Jacob was about to change. Life was going to be completely different. His life would never be the same. He has encountered God and everything will now be different. It seems to me that it would have been best for Jacob to just surrender. But maybe God wanted to put Jacob through this test so that Jacob could realize that he didn't need to fear man like he was now fearing his brother Esau. God has a plan for Jacob. And Jacob and all his descendants would need to realize that God was with them and that they have the strength to stand in the presence of God or before the presence of God. And this plan of God's will will now unfold even further. And verse 28 says, and he, right, God in human form here, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and men and have prevailed. Now, that word prevailed there at the end of verse 28 is the Hebrew word yachol, and it means to be able. And it would be better for us to understand it translated as such, because again, Jacob really didn't win this wrestling match. He came out with a dislocated hip, and a lifelong limp. But he was at least able to wrestle. He was able to wrestle with God. So his name then became Israel, which actually means God prevails. But even till this very day, Israel is God's chosen people. They are the ones that brought forth the Messiah, Jesus. And with Jesus, ushered, was ushered in a new and a living hope. And you'll need to read the New Testament to understand that in its fullness. But for now, we are here in Genesis and we are seeing that God has chosen that from this man, Jacob, could come a group of people and ultimately a nation called Israel. And you know, there may be times today when in your soul, you wrestle with God. And you know he wants this for you, but instead you want that. And instead you go in the other direction. 
And God may let you wrestle with him. You may be able to wrestle with God, but in the end, you're the one that will come out with a limp. All right? So the best thing to do is to learn from his word and to surrender his will. Because in the end, God always prevails. Okay, but let's finish the chapter here. Then Jacob asked saying, tell me your name, I pray, verse 29. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So God in human form here saw no reason to give Jacob his name. He simply blessed him there. But Jacob knew who it was that he had wrestled with. And verse 30 says, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So again, Jacob came out with a limp, but he's thankful to be alive. And if you are someone that is currently wrestling with God by living in a manner contrary to how you know he wants you to live, as I've mentioned, then it's, it's time to repent because You don't want to lose your life not surrendering to God, right? It's better to walk with a limp than to die without God. And verse 31 says of Jacob that just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So Jacob saw in verse 31 there, Jacob saw another sunrise, meaning that he had another day of life. But again, his life would never be the same. Both physically and spiritually, Jacob's life would never be the same. And you know, I was talking to a friend this week, um, but some people call it a crutch when you rely on the Lord in your daily life. But I'll proudly say that I need a crutch, right? I may look funny to others as I limp through this life, but I know where I'm going. Just like Jacob, we're all going someplace. We're going to the promised land. And I'll gladly limp all the way there while leaning on my everlasting crutch Jesus Christ, right? And because we know that this life offers us all kinds of things that distract us and things that beat us up, things that sometimes we invite on our own because we make wrong choices and bad decisions. But sometimes things just happen because we live in a fallen world. But sometimes there are a lot of people that just want to wrestle with God. They want to wrestle with God and for one reason or another, and they say, this is my way, this is the way I want to do it. I'm not saying that that's what Jacob was doing here, but I'm just applying it to our lives today to say, but we're the ones that end up harmed in that. God has a plan, he has a purpose. He wants to fulfill his will in our lives, but we really must come to the understanding of humility, like we see in Jacob's prayer, and like we see in the prayer with the tax collector and and the difference of the prayer of the Pharisee, that we must be a humble people. We must humble ourselves to realize that we are weak 
We do need a crutch. We do need to lean on something. But I don't need to lean on this world. And I don't need to lean on other people. I need to lean on the everlasting arms of God. That's my crutch. And God who has that purpose and that plan and that will for our lives, that, that he will be faithful to complete the work that he has begun in us, he'll take us there. And, and, and again, if we go into the promised land, if we go into our, etern our eternal home of heaven with a limp, so be it. As long as God is God and we keep going in the right direction. But we've learned some things today. We learned that, that even though God's will was being done, even though he had in Jacob's life, even though he had angels watching over him, he still faced fear. He still faced doubt. He still faced what's, what's going to happen in my life if this or this. So he prepared for it. He prepared for the worst, but he prayed for the best and he surrendered to God in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we thank you again, God, that we can gather like this and study your word. As, as a group, Lord, as a, a group of believers, Lord, I'm thankful for all of these believers that gather here today, Lord. That, Lord, that we can exhort and encourage one another as well, Lord. But I pray also that as we go through the week, Lord, that we will continue to seek you, Lord. That it will not just be a Sunday thing, but that, Lord, that you will be every breath we take and every step we take through this life, Lord. That you will lead and that you will guide us, Lord. And that we will seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Lord. Lord, thank you that you have a plan that you have a perfect will for us, Lord. And I pray that each one of us will humble ourselves and submit and surrender to you, Lord, that we would not wrestle with you, that we would not fight against your will being done in our lives, but Lord, that we will just completely surrender to it, Lord, and just follow you gladly through this life. Lord, you are good, you are faithful, and I'm sure even amongst us here, we can each have a testimony of how you have been faithful, Lord, in our lives to do good. But Lord, oftentimes we're the ones that get off course. We're the ones that get distracted. So I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, that you will draw each one of us here back to that place of focusing on you, fixing our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, we thank you again for this time in your word. We just pray your will be done in our lives moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen.